Welcome back to Avowedcast, the fan community podcast for Obsidian Entertainment's future RPG video game titled Avowed. And we're not affiliated with Obsidian in any official way, but we would gladly let them pay Tuesday for a hamburger today. My name is Sora, and I will be today's host as we talk about race and class and the world of Aora. Thanks for joining us. My great hall stands open for all who would pay fealty to their beloved king. Why are you here? Welcome to Vowcast. We have a lot of people here today giving their opinions. We're going to be talking about race and class in the world of Aora and kind of give a brief overview, but also touch on uh, a few maybe tips about what we think will be happening in the upcoming game Avowed. I wanted to start off, though, with a question. I'm curious. Uh, we, before we jump in, if you guys have been playing anything new or doing anything new. So I'll give you a chance to kind of introduce yourself and tell us what you've been up to. Uh, Gingerina, you want to start us off? Yeah. Um, so I, I know I'm going to get a lot of flack for this, but uh, what I've been playing lately is actually Cyberpunk 2077. Oh, <laughs> no. <Nice. laughs> He yeah. knows that he knows my feelings about that game, but I'm going to remain. <laughs> I'm going to stay quiet for a second. Do you want us to tell us how your how your impressions have been? Okay, I mean, not to minimize uh, the experience that people have been having with it, because I mean, CDPR we all know dropped the ball in a lot of ways, and there are people who literally can't play the game, and so I don't want to minimize that. But I also don't want to minimize the fact that there are people out there who are enjoying the game and they really enjoy the world and. I happen to be one of those people. So uh, it that helps nice. that I, I was really in a cyberpunk before the game came out. So I'm a little biased where I'm just like, finally, I get to see Night City somewhere than other in my mind. I think that's cool. <laughs> I, I uh, had mentioned to Gingerino before that I, I bought that. I was on the bandwagon. I, I paid for it way in advance before it came out. Um, gosh, I don't know, back in April or whatever, but, uh, I have it for the Xbox series X. So it's the advanced console. Um, and I played through it day one and I did experience bugs. Um, but not, I think as many as people who played it on the older generation consoles. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a huge RPG nut as you guys know, and I was stoked. I was so excited and I am disappointed on so many levels and like i am so glad there are people out there like gingerino who are having who are really enjoying this and soaking it up and loving the world and who knows maybe i'll come around maybe this will be you know a year from now when they finally release the official uh versions for the next generation consoles maybe i'll i'll jump back in and, and see what it's like but I, I think my biggest complaints were, and I don't want to spend too much time on it, but my biggest complaints were that I, I don't, the bugs aren't the problem for me. The problem for me is I think uninspired design and um, just not, I don't feel, I don't, I, they, it's a game that has a lot of hits in during the gameplay. There are certain parts of the game that I, that stick with me and I remember and I'm like, that was fantastic. But then there are other parts where either because of story or or gameplay that doesn't make sense um, mm -hmm. that I, that I just kind of dropped. I just felt like they dropped the ball. And, you know, in their defense, I think I think the truth of the matter is it was because they became too big a company and they just the corporate took over the developing, you know, the developers kind of didn't 
Okay. Get heard. Yeah, that's a hilarious mm-hmm. considering what the game is about, right? Isn't it? It's so I don't know, poetic. If you don't mind me asking, sorry, was it were the glitches and bugs manageable on the Series X? Was or was yes. it like overwhelming? Oh yeah. No, it was not overwhelming. Like the ones oh, wow. you see on YouTube where they're falling through the sky. I never had that happen. <laughs> I I put in, I bet you I put in at least 80 hours of gameplay on that. Um and, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And I and I and there are certain things that had me coming back. One is everybody was saying it was so great. And it was one of those situations where you hear that a game is so great and you're like, well, I'm the idiot. I'm missing something here. So I need to mm-hmm. keep playing to see what I'm missing. Um, and then I kept missing. So <laughs> that's, that's weird. I'm having like the opposite. I keep Bad. hearing all these stories of people like I'm naked T posing down the streets of night city. And I'm, I'm playing on a baby PC. Like it's nothing to, be amazed at and i'm just like man i wish i could experience a, a a really crazy bug like that but i mean i just get a bunch of the little annoying ones mm-hmm. so i don't know I, people are gonna be mad now they're gonna be like curses upon you well, they'll hate us both they're gonna hate us both and that's fine bring on the hate um 100 yeah uh kiwi what are you up to you you playing anything recently i know you've been reading a lot of fantasy uh fiction yeah well I've I've been continuing doing that. I've been reading this uh, Prince of Nothing series from R. Scott Baker, and it's been pretty good. Uh, oh, cool! It's kind of a dark cream fantasy with some like it's been spiced up with some like real life events. Like they're they are like the source material kind of, but it's all in uh, still in this high fantasy world. Is this a series? It's a series, yeah. And how many well, books are there? Uh, this like, there's like this the second apocalypse series that has like one trilogy and one like four books series. Gotcha. And the first, first trilogy is like, it's like Tolkien uh, combined with uh, Dune. Ooh. At least, mm-hmm. and it's like it has this holy war thing going on is like the crusades from the real world i love it i'm gonna have to have, check that out have you read the uh the witcher books uh yes oh wow that's 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 i was heard i heard that was lengthy but uh but it had a lot of detail and stuff and they that's really, how you derived it from the game they are, they're so good those books that like you'll read them in a breeze you don't even wow. notice how long they are the witcher books wow that's amazing so lazar what have you what have you been up to well, uh, I've recently <clears throat> convinced my girlfriend to start playing Dragon Age Inquisition, and uh, and you know we we are having a blast together. Although, you know, she was uh, she was really overwhelmed by you know all the lore just casually being dropped on her head at the beginning, and you know I, I we ended up I ended up. Uh, Having to give her like a half an hour lore session, you know, before and because you know most people just play the play the game and even if they don't understand something, they just skim through it or something, you know. But but she uh, she really is trying to understand and everything when what's going on. Yeah, yeah I'm a huge fan of that game, and I, there is a bit now that I think about it. There's a little bit of preloading in that where they do spend a a little bit of time, especially at the beginning, kind of dropping stuff on you. 
Oh yeah, it was. She was so overwhelmed. She was like, "Am I doing something wrong? And <laughs> am I supposed to know all these things? You know, the you know all the, this magic system, you know, with the fade and the veil and then the, the what are what are the mages? What are the apostates? What are the circles? What are templars for? You know, all these all this kind of thing. You know, it's, it's just uh, we we just had to do like a, a quick uh, half an hour lore session. To start off, maybe, yeah, so what I do online is that I have, obviously, I don't know if you guys are aware, but I obviously like to contribute as much as I can for the Reddit community. And in doing so, I I sort of conduct surveys for you guys. I don't know if you've sort of participated in the past. These are avowed-related surveys to help me to sort of uh, send the results to Obsidian Entertainment, the developers of Avowed, to help maybe construct the game a in, in some areas a little bit better than maybe what they have originally intended to. So in other words, I want to get sort of the community's taste into the game so that they are able to develop sort of a polished version that has sort of the community's ideas merged with their technical skills to make this ultimate RPG the best RPG that we can make it. Um, in addition to that, I obviously have a YouTube channel, so um, definitely feel free to check it out. Again, so far, I'm just uploading Avowed-related content and all things RPG. It's, it's, again, for the community, and I'm really happy to do so, guys. And again, any suggestions, I'm totally open. And uh, yeah, that's that's about it for that. And uh, for, for the games, I'm actually, you guys are probably going to give me a lot of uh, criticism for this, but I just started playing League of Legends. So um, I know it's not an RPG or anything like that, no, but, it's... But, it, but it's, uh, I'll tell you something. It does teach you a little bit more of the competitive aspect. And it also teaches a player uh, in regards to maybe uh, weapon building and part building. And you got to really just understand character stats and, and how to sort of navigate through maps, you know, warding and all that. So, um, you know, it really, it even it might tie down to this uh, discussion later on. So when we're talking about classes and races and how how maybe certain like champions in the game um, have their own abilities and and their even appearance and sort of what their you know uh, I would say personality and characters sort of like it kind of gives them that flavor to to sort of enhance even storylines and whatnot and I really appreciate that from League of Legends it doesn't have its storyline but like it has its kind of like I don't want to say like an Easter egg for each champion which I really appreciate like its own its own like backstory like you can just read it up really quickly and uh, I really like that. That's awesome. I got into that um, at the beginning, kind of because I was an old Warcraft player. Yeah, uh, yeah. Frozen Throne, all that stuff. I loved it. So I, when they branched and did that, I uh, I mean, I know it's not Blizzard, but when that was created and uh, enjoyed it. Uh, mm -hmm. But it's super competitive. I 100%. Hats off to you, buddy, because you're, <laughs> there's people who've been doing that for, what, like 20 years now, it feels like. So, I mean, that's 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 really cool and hey maybe you'll, maybe you'll go to a competition you know <laughs> i mean for now it's just sort of for fun you know like it's just it's sort of understanding the gameplay the mechanics and and sort of like uh you know like i even tried to c compete just temporarily right and i reached to like a gold tier just just for a brief time before the new season hit this january and uh, you know, just let it go after that, and I just sort of calmed down a little bit on my on my uh, gaming sessions on leagues. So I, I sort of understand it now. I see why it's kind of fun and so sort of like it has that sort of addictive, competitive uh, aspect to it. So. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's what I wanted to say because I also had a League of Legends phase actually, like I think five years ago or something. 
um, mm -hmm. and it, it can get really addictive. Like you, you should, uh, you, you should be careful with, uh, with it. I think like just keep it casual. Absolutely. Just keep it casual. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Unless you're good enough to make money off of it. Keep it casual. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, uh, I've been playing, like I mentioned, uh, before I'm still in, uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla and loving it, um, has a very Skyrim vibe to it. Um, it's, it's really good. It's really deep as far as content and exploration go. Mm -hmm. Um, I like, uh, it's gotten some critiques for voice acting. I like the voice acting. It's, it's good. It's fun. It's, it's a good dis diversion. Um, I've also been playing, it's funny, you, we were talking about competitive games, and this is totally out in right field, but um, I'm a, a board game person as well. I love board games, so oh, I, nice. I play lots of them, but I have re recently gotten back in, into, uh, on Steam, there's a board game that's been converted called Scythe. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, um, but it's really fun, and it's very thinky. Um, I found that it's it's got a big active community, and it's um, it's just a, it's just a great game. It, it doesn't take too long to play through a full session. You get to play with a lot of other people, um, so I've been enjoying that. If you like board games and you like uh, especially strategy, that's that's a good one for you to to look into. Um, Is Scythe like Risk? Um, it it is and it isn't it is in the concept that you are kind of there is a bit of area control and there is some fighting involved um and it is strategy but uh. i think it's a, i would say not to rag on risk but it's a little bit deeper in the fact that you know you there's more each faction has more uh depth and differences so mm -hmm. um you, there's a lot more i think adapting that you have to do and, mm -hmm. and strategy mm -hmm. thought process i'm a huge risk person but um risk on the surface can be a little bit like you know not i catch crap for this but like checkers you know it's kind of it's, yeah. a, it's a lot of fun <laughs> and it's a great game but this has got a little more depth to it. if you like risk I, I think you would like scythe it's, it's really cool okay interesting um, yeah. So anyway, I want to move on. I don't want to spend too much time on that. I, we're going to talk about races and classes today, but I have a really interesting question I'm going to throw to you guys. And you may have to think about this one a little bit. So I'll start by answering it for myself. Um, so my question is, what is your earliest memory of customizing a character in a video game? And um, how have you seen the use of race and class in games change over time? So my first one that I can remember. There's actually two that pop in my head. And one in particular was a game called Ultima, um, which came out quite a while ago. Um, I, I wouldn't remember a date specifically, um, but um, Ultima was uh, one of the first graphical fantasy games out there. And a very, we're talking about a very basic level. And I remember character creation and Ultima was really kind of based off of D&D, &D, um, it kind of followed that that whole trope of, um, I believe the classes were just the basics, like fighter, um, uh, mage, mm -hmm. I think they had a bard, uh, maybe a, a druid, just really basic classes and um, no, no particular race in the early, early games. Um, I know they did something interesting with Ultima 5 and that was uh, where the avatar uh, 
portion was built into it. And there were this, this whole bizarre thing where um, there were these symbols of virtue and um, there was strange mist rising out of these bowls. And um, those would help determine, you know, your, your being and what you did. Um, I also remember some other games like the early Dungeon Siege game, uh, which was kind of revolutionary in that um, it was one of the first video games that came out where you did not pick uh, a class uh, or a race at the beginning in particular. You started out as a human, so there was no race picking there. But what I thought was interesting about that one is it was based on your choices in the game and based on the choices that you took and the people you allied with, um, you would then craft your character that way throughout the gameplay. So those are two early experiences I remember um, from way, way back. Um, so does anybody want to jump in and tell me what their earliest experiences were? Um, I, th I think, uh, I assume we're talking about like a more RPG character creation. I yeah. would say, wow, I, I'm surprised that it took me this long actually, but in 2008, when Fallout 3 released, I think that was actually my first major foray into the RPG world. Oh, man, didn't realize it took me that long to get there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I guess it's open class system. And, yeah, you don't get to select a race. But I think it's the first time that I ever got to build a character, in a sense, from the ground up. Because before that, I was just playing whatever my friends were playing, which was always going to be halo or call of duty or something like that right i right. tried getting into rpgs before but i was like i can't handle it it's too big for my tiny little teenager brain <laughs> um but fallout 3 had guns in it so i'm like oh i can handle this this will be all right that's uh, a good transition game that's a good good game to transition into the rpg world yeah i guess don't play fallout 3 for its first person shooter mechanics you'll be supremely disappointed <laughs> but in terms yeah. of like diving into the world it hooked me and i wouldn't i wasn't gonna back out and so it pushed me through that initial intimidation of building a character turned out wasn't that bad and fallout oh, wow. 3 was i mean if you guys remember it was pretty straightforward fairly easy i think wow um, wow yeah. yeah anyone else i'd be willing to answer so okay. um do you guys have you guys played runescape Oh yes, absolutely. Okay, yeah. So, so, so I've played back when I was much younger uh, in like 2008. I played a lot of RuneScape. So, um, what I really—I'm I'm going to tell you something. We all know if if anyone here has played the game, uh, it's very cartoonish and it's animation very sluggish here and there. But the one thing I think RuneScape did really well, especially for the first time, me playing and being able to customize my character to that extent, is the amount of customization and armor and weaponry you can really just get your hands hands-on into that game i've never seen anything like it i have to really be straight up honest i have not played any rpg i mean i haven't really played a lot of rpgs i played like skyrim the witcher 3 uh i've played uh, cyberpunk i just touched it a little bit but not not too much and 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 some other maybe related rpg maybe even mmo games but i've never seen the amount of customization that's included into skyrim as it is maybe i don't know about world of warcraft but all I know is that like when I played RuneScape, like there's only so much, you know, you got like all these kits, these helmets, these, um, you know, plate kits and you got swords and long swords and, and it's just so much of it. I actually never, you know, I would say I never ran out of any sort of content or things that I, you could find in that game. 
So I was really mesmerized the amount of variety that you can really just achieve into that game uh, versus say other RPGs. I know it's not an RPG, but it's but again, it comes close to it for its customization features. And uh, it really, really was jaw dropping in that aspect. I would I would argue that it, it has RPG elements. I think that um... I, I definitely think it's the way you play the game, obviously, mm-hmm. and how, you, mm-hmm. how you play it as to whether mm-hmm. it's going to be role playing or not. But um, I, that game is still very active. I don't know if you yeah. checked it out, but that game is still very hot right now. I mean, they have the the whole now that it's transitioned to the iPhone and the Samsung. Oh, yeah. Phones, yeah. I remember old know. school RuneScape and, and whatnot. But you know, you know what made it really, really interesting too is that I've actually never paid for the membership portion of the game. And you know how you have to like pay for the membership to get even access to more armor and and, right. and you know weapons and all that. And just me being in the base base portion of the game, I was still shocked with the amount of content that was on the base portion, even without the membership. So, so just to give you sort of some perspective, and that that's still pretty impressive to me. No, I sunk. I got sunk into that one too. I was into that one pretty heavily <laughs> at the beginning. And so I played quite a bit of that. I love that game. Anyone 100%. else? Uh, Kiwi, Lazar, you guys have any memories of the first RPG creation, character creation you guys did? I think for, for me, it must be Silk Road Online. I don't know if you're familiar with the game. It was, uh, I think it was one of the first WoW clones uh, in the mid 2000s. Yeah, I, and, haven't, uh, haven't, I don't know about that one. Um, it, it, was a, uh, it was a Chinese game, I think, and they were like pretty new in, in Europe, I think. Uh, like the studio and everything, um, and so like you know, it it was a very like you know the looks of the game and the feels of the game. It was uh, all very uh, you know like Asian, like kind of uh, uh, like Japanese style MMO, but at, then at the same time still a World of Warcraft clone. So um, it was a uh, definitely an interesting mix, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I, Actually, in um, in that character customization, you actually didn't pick a class and a race. Instead, you kind of picked a person or a, a, a figure that was in the lore. Uh, and then, you know, of course, later uh, from that same person, like thousands and thousands of people would, you know, run around on the map. Uh, you picked like a figure and uh, you picked a weapon, and then later you had the option to, uh, you know, kind of uh, develop your skills with that weapon through the the skill tree system. Very it was cool. Based on weapons. Very cool. Um, uh, Kiwi? Yeah. Kiwi, you got any memories? Well, I, th- mm, well, I don't know if it's the earliest, but I I started playing uh, the. The original World of Warcraft when it came out in was it 2005 or 2006? Of course, everyone knows the game and it's some good classes, good races. I think good balance at the start of the game, not today anymore. But I think it it's uh, kind of a very basic fantasy setting. Yeah, I, I was heavy WoW player, uh, absolutely. Um, it, it jumped in in November 2004, remember it very clearly. But I liked WoW because 
it was one of the first I had played that had such an extensive lore attached to it when you started the game. Like they it already had a series of quite a few games before that and expansions. And so the 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 world had kind of been fleshed out a little bit and um these were all single player kind of RTS games, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that was fun. I, I enjoyed that. And the race and the, the race choices were interesting, especially when they introduced the, was it the drain eye and the blood elves and they kind of uh, ventured out a little bit from the tropes, but the classes were pretty traditional, I think for the most part until you got to things like the death Knight. Um, but yeah, that was fun. I like that game. Um, so here's a question I'm going to throw out. Um, you have played lots of RPG games. Um, you have some experience. Um, I'm curious, do you feel developers um, run the risk of not being innovative by sticking with the tropes? Like we have games that are coming out now that um, are still basically sticking with as far as race and class, you know, uh, elves, dwarves, um, and then you have your, uh, uh, your classes like priest or, or even monk is one that's been around forever. Um, mm-hmm. do you feel that, that, that shows a sign of, uh, you know, that they, do you feel that they feel a pressure to stick with that? Or do you feel that, um, people who are developing these type of RPGs now, um, are just doing it because that's what they grew up playing and that's all they know? Yeah, like, I mean, I think it's a, it's a combination of both, maybe, right? So so I don't really know the developer's aspect. Like, maybe they have, like, a combination of both. Maybe they do feel, have that pressure, but at the same time, they have grew up with those sort of classes throughout time. And so that's why they've only known to put sort of those options in most RPG games, even as of today. No, I think sometimes it's good that they hold on to some you know, tropes. They knife ears don't always have to be the same um but i think uh, i think the way um, pillars did some new races like Aumawa or uh the they have halfling now no it's they're they're Orland. actually called orlans yeah so i think it's just uh they wanted to make something new but they ended up doing the same like they made blue orcs that are more civilized and, right and not and halflings with more facial hair right a lot it's... of it too is just you know reinventing the wheel type thing like if you're going to make a game uh, but you want it to be accessible to people giving them something familiar is a hurdle you don't have to jump over plus you know if it works you don't break what isn't uh, don't fix what isn't broken right so it, there might be that aspect to it but I, you're right i'm I think you, sorry, last episode, you told us something about 80% or something of RPGs are fantasy. Oh, yeah. It's crazy in the number. And it surprised me. I mean, but and most fantasy seems to be coming from, you know, inspired by the literature um, and, of course, by D&D, you know, which which with Chainmail, they really started to f- flesh that out into the basics. Um and I think if you listen to a lot of designers and developers, um, you know, Josh Sawyer being one of them, the first thing they usually mention as far as inspiration is, is Dungeons and Dragons um, or Tolkien or something of that nature. So they're, you're, they're pulling from 
these uh, areas that have already been fleshed out quite a bit. Um, I can't, I'm trying to think right now, and this is off the top of my head, no prep here. I just was trying to think of someone who has really twisted that. I mean, who, I can't really think of anyone who has really like taken, it doesn't have to be fantasy, but has taken it and really like innovated in a, in a way that has kind of jarred the industry a little bit where people are saying, wait a second, that's, that's, that's really cool. Um, you guys have any thoughts of any games that have kind of swerved from that trope? I, I can't, I can't think of anything like that. To be honest, I, I completely agree with uh, with geometry. That is kind of, it's probably a mix of both, like a mix of you know, like upbringing and having to adhere to the formula. Um, and I, I'm really trying hard to think of any game. Uh, that don't have elves in it, and instead something, you know, made up where the skin is red, or I, I don't know. Like, uh, how, how, like, how far can you deviate from, you know, different uh, skin color, maybe a few horns here and there, as in, you know, appearance-wise, uh, you know, a bit taller, a bit shorter, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I totally get it. And I think maybe the core of it and the reason we haven't seen a lot of quote unquote innovation is probably because, and we'll talk about this a little in a little bit when we get into, I guess, really specifically a class discussion is that um, these classes or these, these, even in some cases, races seem to be tailored to particular play styles and play styles are not something that really change a whole lot. You know, and if you really want to boil it down, you, you always are going to have a, a tank type character. You're always going to have a magic character that is uh, squishy. You're always going to, you know, pretty much those. And, and then they they meld those play styles into a either a race or class or a combination of the two. Mm -hmm. Like, um I, I think, yeah, it goes back, it ties down to what I mentioned earlier. The, the, the thing is, is actually even what you said was very critical and important where they, where most of the content is derived from sort of some sort of literature. So it could be some books or, or, or even a very, very common one, like the Lord of the Rings, for instance, right? They would have these uh, characters or, or class. I don't want to say class, but like, because it's not a, it's not a game. It's more of a, uh, a book, a story to tell. So they, they derive these characters and they sort of implement them in games. And it could be anything from elves, Nords, humans, or, or, you know, orcs, goblins, yada, yada. Right. And so you, you, I, it, you know, there is some pressure and then you have that sort of, um, I would say, mental sort of uh, adaptive component where they've just sort of grew up with it, right? So, so maybe they don't know anymore. I don't know, uh, or maybe it kind of tends to be a little bit confusing and new to some new players if you were to introduce a new set of characters or classes or races, right? So they'll, they'll be like, "Oh, I've never heard of that. Maybe that's weird. That's odd. I don't want that. I prefer the more familiar route." To be quite honest. I'm perfectly happy with trying something new. You know, I, I've already played what's to be played on previous RPGs. You know, whether it's elves or orcs or being a, being a human or whatever, right? I prefer something new. You know, maybe just just uh, let's see what you got. You know, definitely open to new ideas. Maybe who knows? We'll like it better. Maybe not. Yeah, good point. Um, and I think 
and as we jump into the the racing classes, we'll be able to touch on a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, I do want to jump into uh, talk a little bit about races. And I know some of our listeners have never played Pillars of Eternity, maybe have a very brief uh, interaction with the world of Aora. So I just want to kind of run down real quick. Uh, they're basically in the game, in the world, quote unquote. Um, there are six playable races. Um, each with a variety of sub-race options. Um, sub-race being something like, uh, instead of just being an elf, you're a wood elf, for example. It would be, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so race in the game kind of determines the character's attribute modifier is really the, the main thing I think it does in uh, providing either small bonuses or a penalty in some cases. The sub-race then determines your your racial ability, um, which we'll, we'll talk about. but. Um, I think the best way to do this is we'll we'll just run down and 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 you can give me your impressions of of each of the races. We'll start with the most common or the well common's not the word, but the the most uh, logically um, available, which is human. Um, and the human race, um, I believe, are the most common race in the Deerwood. I'm not positive. Um, yes, but I believe they are. Um, maybe uh these, these they're not they're not super strong um are are towering above everyone but they are strong um i mean they are known for their strength but uh they they have bonuses in both the areas of might and resolve uh plus one might and a plus one resolve um and you know are are pretty much what you would expect for uh, humans or folk, as they can be called in the game. Mm -hmm. um, any impressions on the on the human race and how it plays or how it plays into the game and the culture? Well, the bonus, yeah, the bonus ability and the attribute modifiers that they have it's it's still that it's a, it's a typical human trope that uh, they have the they have the power of will. They will overcome any obstacle. At least they try. I think it's a. I think it's a. Well, it's it's not a race that you would pick uh, based on attributes alone. Yeah, um, it has uh, some subrace options. So for the human, it's one of the ones that has three total subrace options. So you pick human, and you get your might and resolve bonuses, but. There are three different subraces. There's the the meadow, the ocean, and the savanna. Um, and the meadow, um, I believe they've they've been around the longest, um, but they they're traditionally live on the edges of the elven forests, working the open plains. But they have a bonus ability called fighting spirit in both pillars one and two. Um, so if you were to choose a human, uh, a meadow human. Um, then whenever you fall below like 50% endurance, you gain a plus seven to your accuracy and a plus 15% damage for 20 seconds, which is really helpful um, for what it says, giving you that fighting spirit. The ocean folk um, are kind of the equator, I, I believe. They're right around the middle of the globe. Um, they are the... I don't know how common they are in the, in the Deerwood, but uh, they also have the fighting spirit. And then you have the Savannah, which come from just south of the equator. Um, and uh, any particular thing about those three sub races that, that you can tell us about um, other than the bonus, which they all share? 
Well, I, I think Savannah is actually the ones that are the original humans, but you know, the humans don't actually differ from each other, other than the you know skin color and outlook. It's a, they come from different uh, cultures in the era. Yeah, <clears throat> so it's uh, it's pretty standard. There's no big surprises here. Um, the other one, the next one I want to talk about is the Omawa, and they're pretty non-standard in a way um, for their kith races, and they're uh, pretty mighty. I guess you would say they are uh, it, it, have an affinity for water would be the way to put it. Um, they uh, are based uh, around water. They have naval dominance. They have a total of two, I think, yeah, two sub races. So they have the coastal and the island. Um, the coastal is the warlike race, the island um is kind of the similar to their coastal cousins i guess but uh with slightly different contrast their yeah. abilities are different as well um the coastal gives you the towering physique ability which is a resistance to might afflictions like things like stagger dazed or stunned uh, the island um is among the waves from pillars of eternity too um, and also uh, armed to the teeth from Pillars of Eternity 1. And armed to the teeth just gives you an additional weapon set, but among the waves, which is appropriate for Pillars of Eternity 2, gives you immunity to slog zone attacks, which are the environmental things like water, mud. Basically, uh, water, mud, bog, uh, quicksand, those kind of things make it so you can't run. Um, but if you have the Among the Waves ability, does, those don't affect you like they affect anyone else. Um, mm -hmm. Anyone I want to chime in about uh, the Omawa and General and then their two sub-races? Well, it's, it's the typical, the, the big and strong ones of the fantasy races. Uh, in other places you might have half orcs or torrents or some other stuff. We have Omawa. Next race? is the dwarfs again something we've seen uh is pretty standard um it the dwarf race come with a plus two might a plus one constitution but they come with a, a hit against them so they have a minus one to dexterity if you choose the dwarf race um they're in the 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 deer wood um they have sub races of mountain dwarves or and I'm going to chop this one up. Boreal dwarves. Did I get that right? Boreal. Um, yep. Okay. And Boreal, so yes. the mountain dwarves, they uh, pretty much are there. They have this uh, ability that's called hail and, and hardy, and it is resistance to constitution effects like being sickened, weakened, or enfeebled, which kind of would make sense for a mountain dwarf, I think. Um, and then um, the Boreal is uh, Hunter's Instincts, which is the same mm -hmm. for Pillars 1 and 2. And that means that 50% of the misses are converted um, to grazes against uh, wilder or uh, primordial targets. And I think what that basically means is behind the scenes, that means that uh, half, half a chance that your no hits will do 50% more damage. I don't know. It's one of their, it's one of the races that like it, they're it, they're interesting. But I, I feel like most people they pick classes and races. 
is, you know, for mechanical advantages. But from a lure perspective, I do find the dwarves really because I don't, maybe I worded it wrong in the subreddit. I can't remember it, but uh, the dwarves in Aora have the to want to explore the whole world, and they've been doing it for God knows how long. They don't have a lot of like, like what you're saying is maybe they don't have a lot of like motivation to go seek out this sort of change in whatever you were mentioning about like religion and whatnot. Yeah, um, I don't know uh, specifically about their views on religion. I just, I always thought with them being so nomadic that it would have been harder to essentially uh, erase all that old knowledge that the Inguithans were essentially trying to cover up mm-hmm. from, you know, the Apotheosis Project. Because if they're always moving, you know, chances are you didn't, quote unquote, get all of them, right? So that, that was my hope and thought on the matter. But mm-hmm. the, was, my second playthrough through both games was a Boreal Dwarf, and it was very satisfying. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, what class was it? I, 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 so my second playthrough, I, I rolled the dice for all of the different things, uh, and I, I got Druid, <laughs> which worked out really well. <laughs> That's so. interesting. Yeah, I like that. Um, we do have the next one, which is Elf, um, another common one like the Dwarf that you see a lot. Uh, elves get a bonus to Dexterity and Perception, plus one to both. They are the dominant race in Irglomfoth, um, and they're they're like the humans in that they're everywhere. Um, very common in both uh, Deerwood and Adair. Um, so Elves, I guess they have a few choices. You're, you can be a Wood Elf, or you can be a Pale Elf. Um, and they both come with very distinct, uh, advantages to choosing those sub races. Um, the wood elf gives you in pillars of eternity one, something called distant advantage where, uh, against enemies that are a certain distance away, they gain a plus five to accuracy, deflection and, and reflex. Um, in pillars of eternity two, they have the wily step which is kind of a natural resistance to dexterity afflictions. I believe dexterity afflictions are things like being paralyzed, petrified, immobilized, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, Aren't they those AOE stuff? uh, Area of effect? Yeah. uh, Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Right, right. Yeah, Yeah, a lot of it. Paralysis is more like constitution related. Well, like uh, fortitude, fortitude. Fortitude. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and reflexes of course the AOE stuff. But yeah. Oh, yeah. Good point. Good point. And then the pale are a little different in that they have elemental endurance, which is just increased resistance to burn and freeze damage because they give mm-hmm. you like a plus four burn and freeze armor rating. Um, any anything you want to share with us about those two sub races um, and the elves in general? I have a question for the for the for the elves. So, um, and I think this is for for Ginger, you know, because he he might know a lot more. So, um, <laughs> you even wrote <laughs> no, but but you you even wrote like for instance, and I, and I really like the amount of uh, work that was put into this. But you even wrote like the, the race doesn't tend to expand much from where they are. Um, and I want to know why do you think that is? Is it because like they they might lack certain skills, again attributes or, or abilities that could let them to go uh, maybe explore other parts of the world in Eora, or is it maybe because of some sort of uh, deep deeper sort of uh, personality or or sort of conflicting issues, or or what what do you think maybe that might be, based off of your experience? 
Um, well, first, thank you uh, for the the shout out there. <laughs> I will say I do most of this with research ahead of time, so it is not mostly off the top of my head, but I do actually have some insights there. Um, uh, one reason I think the elves stay, well, they don't travel as much as one, you're contrasting them against the other races. So, for example, the dwarves, they naturally want to just go out and explore, so they go and they do that. The Amauans have uh, a history, I guess, of where they've had to relocate a few times, and so we see them a lot out on the ocean, as you can tell by the sub-races, island and coastal. So they're out traveling a lot. Uh, mm -hmm. People who are from the Valian, uh, the Valian Republics, or I guess Grand or Old Valia, uh, they're really focusing on building that empire up, and so they're going out and doing stuff. So compared to other races, they haven't just gone for it as much. But another thing, too, is like uh, the Glomfellan, the Pale Elves, which are basically in the Antarctica of Aora, mm -hmm. you know, they just they just stay there because I guess they just, I don't know, when you live in Antarctica, I, I suppose you don't want to take too many risks and a huge risk yeah, would be yeah. getting off this ice field island that we know. Yeah. You know, you know what I'm noticing? I'm noticing that these races in particular have a lot of like instinctual motives instead of maybe more um, related to morals or some sort of ideas. Right. So it's it's actually based off of what you're saying and what I'm sort of getting is that because of their nature, they could be just naturally introverted or extroverted or who knows. Right. And maybe that's why they don't go seek out to explore other parts of the world of Europe. And and again, it just goes back to their instincts, their instinctual nature, and um, and uh, that that that's really interesting. Actually, that's a that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point because uh, you know the only wood elf that we know is you know Alaf, whom we really know, and you know he is definitely an introvert. So so it also checks out. Yeah, and they, even even their abilities kind of match, you know, pretty well what the the sub races are. So like it makes sense that the pale the pale elves are have increased resistance to burn and freeze. They're kind of mm -hmm. they living in this harsh climate. They they you know I don't even know that their skin is harder, but they're they're just able to endure more because that's what they live in. You know, so mm -hmm. it's kind of logical and makes sense. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and the wood elves are called uh, skelter folk, which in their native language literally means sheltered people. So, I mean, that pretty much mm -hmm. gets the idea across that they they have they like to stick where they are and literally be sheltered. Now we move on to another one that's a unique one, I think. Um, and uh, the Orlons, um, they're the smallest of the kith races, and they have bonuses in perception. They have a plus two perception, plus one for resolve, but they take a big hit when it comes to might. It's a minus two, which may not sound like a lot, but that's a lot to might for the characters that are uh, choose Orlon as their race. And Orlon have uh, two sub races. They have the hearth and the wild. Um, anyone want to discern the differences between the hearth and the wild sub races and how that might affect gameplay? Well, wild orleans are a bit more savage looking. Uh, like they have more, like they have fur everywhere. And uh, yeah, they just, you know, their look is much more animalistic, definitely. Um, as of gameplay wise, um, I, I don't exactly know what the uh, 
what the what the difference is or, or what what passive they get actually if someone can yeah they have um the wild has something called defiant resolve which is in pillars one and two both um it's resistance to resolve afflictions again something consistently we see having some sort of passive resistance that's like resistance to being shaken frightened or terrified um the hearth though is different it's called minor threat um that's when if you attack a, a target being attacked by a teammate or a friend or an ally uh, 10% of your hits are converted to crits and crits in pillars just means an extra plus 50% damage. Um, so there is a little bit of different there. Defiant resolve being that the wild um, can't be frightened or terrified um, and that the hearth are just um, when they're around a, a, another teammate or they have that influence or, or that, that friendship bond or whatever, um, their hits can be that much more powerful, I guess would be the way to say it. Mm -hmm. So, so theme-wise, I would say that you know the wild orlands are more like hardy, you know, uh, 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 being used to hard environments, and then the uh, hearth orlands are more like tricky, roguish kind of characters. Yeah, they actually orlands make quite good. I think they make quite good um, ranged DPS classes like rogue or cipher. And also, the, with the high perception, they can be the ones who uh, detect uh, traps. The race that we didn't go through a lot is uh, is godlike. Is so basically. Oh so yeah, that one. <laughs> any race, but then then it comes to the twist that you get imbued like with some some god's powers, and they kind of just they are not. They don't have any of the original races uh, attribute bonuses. Instead, they get plus one dexterity and plus one intellect. And uh, some of those godlike uh, races have really powerful uh, uh, passives that makes player players usually choose them. But the downside is those godlike races can't uh, equip helmets because they have some kind of horns usually. Yeah, they're a godlike. It would be the last race uh, um, that we we're going to talk about. And like you said, they're 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 definitely unique. I mean, uh, they're uh, I would not say something standard that you would see in a fantasy RPG. Um, and they have uh, the most sub races of any group. Um, their sub races are death, fire, nature, and moon, um, and um, quite a few. Uh, differences between each of those actually, um, which you know is is pretty interesting as well. It's not just a copy and paste kind of thing. Like they're every down to their abilities, like you were saying, are different, um, and some of them are really really good. Um, anybody want to speak about either death, fire, nature, or moon? I mean, I just really liked how. Um, of course, we can. Um, uh, uh, how, you know, they're basically more like even if uh, we're talking about, I don't know, uh, godlikes of uh, Andra, even even that there, there's more variety, not 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 for the player to choose, but, you know, in the world it, itself, like there's uh, Teki, who, who's also uh, uh, basically water godlike, just like the moon godlike, but, you know, in a different way, because 
you know, his culture is different. So uh, her goddess touched her, touched him differently. I, I just really loved this this little uh, kind of ver- variety there in the lore. It was said like in addition to the four playable ones for a main character, there's also avian godlike for Pelagina companion and also endings godlike for a like a minor companion in uh, Pillars Two, a DLC, and yeah, the marine godlike is of course a second from, one from Andras because gods have like many kinds of aspects. I think Skaian also has like godlikes. Godlike version, but in the lore it says that they are usually mm-hmm. just killed straight because they're so horrid. Yeah, there's like I think one brief mention in the collector's book for Pillars of Eternity about the Skane Godlikes, and that they're basically just born as these monstrosities and pretty much just uh, gotten rid of. Right, it gets pretty grim actually. I, I am interested mm-hmm. to see something like that because we only get to see seven through the two games. We only get to see seven of them. And two of those are supposedly blessed by the same gods. So we have four or five other ones that we haven't even been able to witness yet. And I, I don't know, I find them the most enticing because I want to see what the different versions of them are. Although I have a theory that uh, there are a lot of wild godlikes walking around, but they're just normal looking <laughs> people. <laughs> oh, oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> Speaking yeah, of more like a normal appearance, I was gonna say like uh, I would do. I don't know because I haven't like I said touched so much on the story of of pillars, but but um, again, maybe I'd like to see uh, maybe gods that represent each different race or category of beings throughout the world of Eora. You know, maybe I, I don't know. Maybe it wouldn't be such a good idea depending on the situation, but maybe a elvish type of god you know what i mean like sort of representing each class each race and seeing maybe what they can do to lead that group of of race or that group of people or or whatnot to to see sort of what their capabilities and and their intentions are but i don't know if that would be a very appropriate approach maybe having the those sort of separate fire moon nature and and marine and and all those separate gods having their own category maybe that's more appropriate than having the ones for races i don't know what your thoughts on that though would be uh, to include that instead of say you know the the original ones interestingly enough actually the the pale elves uh they kind of have that with the god Remergond. so um in aora when one of the kith people die their soul you know goes off to be with the gods that's the okay. short and long and short of it and then they get reincarnated back into the world as something else the interesting thing about the pale elves is that Remergond takes the soul from a dead pale elf you know, holds on to it for a while, and then he always puts it back into another pale elf body later on. And oh, okay. it, it's a an anomaly in the way that the cycle of reincarnation works in the world. And we're not really told why they do it and why he does that. So this you got an entire race of people who essentially follow the one deity, and he I don't know if he's forming him in his image or something like that, but mm-hmm. kind of have that with just one race, which I think is good because you can contrast it against other race who worship multiple gods. So you could have mm-hmm. a culture here that are engaging with a monotheistic way of looking at things and then other cultures that are looking at polytheism. I think it gives Obsidian a little more you know, things to play with creatively. Yeah. Don't wow. uh, don't dwarves, uh, mountain dwarves, <laughs> have a, a relationship with Abidon, like a special relationship or... Am I just uh, imagining it? I think most races have a primary deity that they 
swear loyalty to. I, th- I think you're right. I'm tr- I can't remember off the top of my head, but that would make sense. Mountain Dwarves with Abidon. Abidon? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I, about the godlike race that's interesting is the is uh, I'm going to go through all the statistics, but uh, uh, they they have a couple of them have this ability where when they reach near death, uh, something happens, and um, I, I like that mechanic a little bit. So uh, I know that for um, the death sub race, there's pallid fate. It's when your health drops below 25%, you get plus three to all your power levels. And with the fire, I think, uh, I'd have to look it up, but it's, um, some uh, battle forged. Uh, yeah, yeah. Battle forged was like, if it drops below 25%, you get armor rating, a plus one armor rating, but you also get something else. Um, Two to four burn damage. I just looked it up. So, yeah, I, th- I just think that's a cool mechanic. And and then in, it goes even further with Moon in that your uh, fir- first time your health drops below 75%, 50%, or 25% with a single hit, you get, you heal. Uh, you get, well, you, you heal in an area of effect. You get plus 10 health restoration area of effect uh, that it just triggers once. But it's kind of, it's kind of a cool mechanic I, I i like that it's it's different it's a little different than some of the others and uh sets them apart i think which mm-hmm. makes do sense you guys, sorry. Do, do you guys think that it, it can be like interpreted into the lore as well like this kind of mechanic where you know like you know at birth the god like were touched by you know their gods and you know when they're about to die maybe you know the the god uh helps them you know in a way to you know so that this uh, connection will not be severed or you know something like that i think that makes complete sense i love that i i mean i think i think uh, i think the developers put a lot of thought into that i really do i think things are tied very neatly together um in, in many ways and uh so that they make sense um in the, the and i think your point I agree with that. I think that makes sense. That's why they're the only ones that I know of. I could be wrong, but the only ones that I know of that have that particular type of mechanic of when you're basically just about to die, <laughs> something kicks in, which is really cool. If I yeah. remember correctly, I think the godlike are kind of like a, uh, if anyone knows this for sure, correct me if I'm wrong, they're kind of like a backup generator for the gods because they can uh, essentially. A god, if he's he or she is threatened in some sort of way, can essentially take the power of all the godlike of their choosing and absorb their energy. And so, I mean, they would have a vested interest in keeping them alive. So, having something like that kick in just near death, but you know, would be consistent with that piece of lore as well. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I'd, ha- I'd have to look out look that up, but I, I mean, it, it makes complete sense. It does. Um... Uh, now, just to move on, because we could spend all day talking about these guys, um, wanted to jump onto like a brief, as brief as we can make it, discussion of class um, for character creation options. And one mm-hmm. of the things about class in um, Aora or in the games of Pillars of Eternity, and we assume this this will translate in some way to Avowed, I would assume so. I mean, they're not going to break completely from this, but I, I would say that your combat roller, the way that you play combat kind of defines the class that you're picking to a certain extent. And we'll talk about that, but 
there are really four key areas. Um, and there is uh, something called the striker classes. And these are the ones that inflict high damage, status effects, and afflictions on individual targets. This is kind of like your trope damage dealer. It could be examples in the game where like the rogue, the monk, um, the ranger to a certain extent. Um, you have uh, examples of this. Uh, well, you could argue, I guess, either way, that examples of this with companions would be like um, Sawa and uh, Carrick, but both of those are from the White March, so you wouldn't really get those unless you did the expansion. But um, the striker classes are, are heavy damage dealers. Then you have the support classes, which are, again, kind of a trope. Um, these are the ones that buff uh, with defensive bonuses, they heal, they offer some sort of protective wards, kind of like the healer protector uh, classes, uh, priest being probably the predominant one. You have uh, the chanter and the paladin also kind of moving into that. Um, some examples, companion examples are uh, Joti and there was a female paladin. Paladina. Uh, Yes, Palagina. Yes, was another one that kind of fits that. I, uh, so that was Palagina was a paladin, and then the the Jyoti was the priest monk. You have defender classes. These are built on the idea that you're going to take a lot of hits. This is the tank classes, the ones where you're built to take damage or resist damage to certain. Basically, you get punished. Um, and that would be mainly the fighter, but other. Classes like Barbarian, Paladin, Ranger, that kind of go into that. I would argue that Adair is, you know, being a male fighter would be an example of probably a defender or a tank. Um, Maya, you know, female Ranger would be an example. Um, the last one would be Crowd Control, and these are classes designed to weaken larger groups. This is area of effect kind of stuff. Uh, Spellcasters, um, your things like the Wizard, the Druid. The chanter, even the cipher. We mentioned earlier about Aloth being the male wizard, um, and uh, Seraphim is a male cipher. Um, so, those are some examples in the game. So, they're kind of divided up that way. Um, I feel like it's important to say that um, pretty much all of the classes, minus the priest and the rogue, have additional minor combat roles meaning that they can take on other roles depending on the abilities and attributes you give them. So um, if your main combat role is like crowd control, um, they're also able to fill out other support roles um, or striker roles in some cases. So the major versus minor is important because you're not just picking a tank. Like He's not just going to be a tank. He He can do other things based on those choices. There overall are 11 classes, um, and I'm just going to run down the list. I'm not going to describe each one. Or we'll be here forever. Um, but we have the Barbarian, the Chanter, the Cypher, the Druid, the Fighter, the Monk, the Paladin, the Priest, the Ranger, the Rogue, and the Wizard. Now, I think for most people who are listening, who are RPG fans, a lot of these jump out at you as as tropes that you would expect. You know, the fighter, for example, heavy melee weapon combat tank. Um, your monk is is pretty traditional. The paladin is kind of like a fighter priest. Uh, your priest uh, is your healer, your your blesser, your 
uh, buffer. Your ranger is your your distance. Um, so these are these are pretty, I wouldn't say predictable, but pretty common. Um, I don't think there's a whole lot of twist on these. Um, and you can definitely tell me if you feel otherwise. There are some that are different that stand out um, at, when you look at these or when you're creating your characters. I would say those are the chanter, the cipher, um, and would there be any others that are really different? Those are probably the two big ones that people wouldn't recognize if they've never played the game before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so what basically defines a class in the game? Like if you pick a class, what does this do for you? Well, um, basically it's going to give you certain statistics. Obviously it's going to give you, um, depending on which game you were playing, pillars one or two, it could give you uh, different sorts of abilities. Um, but what do you think, you know, other than these abilities and these stats, um, do you feel like these classes represent in their purest form a particular play style would be the first um, question. Actually, I think no, because, well, at least from perspective of Pillars 1, uh, the classes are quite malleable, like this, some classes can perform many many roles and because they, they basically give you a set of abilities but uh, you can have the option of choosing many of those talents that uh, to boost some kind of uh, uh, stat or defensive uh, ability and with any class you can you can equip almost any weapon and armor armor class so you can like i I've, I've been playing like monk tanks cipher uh, no, Chandler tanks, and usually, uh, well, Cypher can uh, work as a, usually, usually it's a damage dealer for me, but uh, also it works as a rogue and a ranger at the same time. And <clears throat> what else? Well, sometimes I actually use Druid against, uh, instead of Wizard for the Wizard role. So they are many classes have uh, more uses if you use your imagination or the opportunities in the game. Yeah, uh, I, I, I agree because, you know, every uh, class in Pillars have has like, you know, one Kirk or, you know, one uh, uh, special unique mechanic. And I think that um, these only, they just put us, uh, put a spin on these you know four basic types of uh, uh, characters that you already mentioned or and they, like they put their own spin like you know um chanter can as kiwi said a chanter can put a spin on a tank it can put a spin on support it can put a spin on dam damage and uh that's how that's, that's that's what's unique about them but they they, they are definitely not uh, their purest representation of, you know, themselves. One thing I do like about the class is, Adam, I'm sure this has happened in other games, and you guys are probably more knowledgeable, so let me know. Um, but for Priest and Paladin, I like how if you roleplay your character with certain dispositions, it makes your uh, a couple abilities that you have stronger or weaker. I haven't seen that a lot done in other RPGs, but then again, I haven't got like a full breadth of good fantasy RPG under my belt. Mm -hmm. 
Does anyone know if if the uh, the 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 sort of the classes in the game offer a unique benefit that sort of um, I would say ties down to what you would connect with your own race so instead of just what your combat abilities or what would happen um, throughout the entire game as you roam around? Like for instance, I don't I'm not I'm not too familiar or one hundred percent sure, but maybe I'd like to see a particular class or even race or whatnot that has benefits or abilities that can for example uh let you be a better merchant or i would say gives you discounted prices or things like that from your own um from your own class should you encounter people with those similar stats as you or other creatures or other people like you know what i mean like if, if you want a certain uh trade between other classes or other other um i would say people with that same class then you would sort of synergize better than you would if you were something completely different so so, so you mean that um you know classes or races do not only have at the um, different abilities in uh, regarding combat but but also yeah, you like know, something other... for example, if I met if I met another say a class like another person who or a uh, a character who happens to be elf and happens to also have or share the same uh, class as mine, for instance, right? Maybe we synergize better and sort of amplify the 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 uh, the, the the stats and and the components that way. Uh, there's just so much more synergy, you know what I mean? Rather than just being a solo playstyle, sort of again amplifies the abilities, and that way you could just take use of of what what, what you can offer to the table and how you fight and and uh, it's just more of a two heads is better than one basically it's gonna make balancing a lot harder <laughs> <laughs> probably i have uh you know again i just it's sort of a matter of like maybe trying something new who knows it's it's uh yeah just it. wondering if they would offer something like that i love it i think it's great but i agree with kiwi i think probably that you know it's a trade-off i think if you do that i think that's amazing um but i think there's a little bit of a trade-off there as well in that. I mean, yeah that's really there's some really really good role-playing aspect to this imagine you uh, instead of a typical troll group you have a troop of five dwarves or six dwarves yeah they're, they're, they're coming from white mart and they're, they're gonna wreck do some stuff i feel like it's mainly solo like everything of your classes and, and sort of your characters tends to run mainly like solo. And I'm not not maybe talking about generally just Pillars of Eternity. It can be anything like Skyrim, The Witcher 3, right? It's mainly a lot of solo elements. And I totally get that. But I also want to see maybe some um, unique components or attributes where you can merge your skills and classes with maybe other characters that sort of, once again, amplify those stats and to sort of make use of maybe group fights or maybe uh, just group coordination with one another to sort of fulfill maybe some sort of goal or, or some sort of task of any kind. I like I like the stats idea. I, I think that's interesting. I'd be interested to see how they do that effectively. But I also kind of like what Kiwi said and that even if you don't have it affect your stats, it kind of adds a, a role play element to it. It kind of, mm -hmm. uh, you know, maybe you, in, in, you know, you encourage that by having some sort of branch of dialogue or story that uh, rewards that in some way. I don't know that, that, that would be really cool. I mean, talk about depth of programming that they would have to get into, but that would be because of all the combinations that would be super. Oh yeah. Imagine wow. just like a, a, a fighter mixed with like a support mixed with a, <laughs> it, it would get certainly complicated. And I see where you're so cool, though. It would almost make like your party build 
a really robust character to play as well. Like it would, you'd have each mm -hmm. individual character, and then you'd have your specific party build, which is already, you know, what people like to do. But that mm -hmm. would make it just so much more in depth. Actually, has anyone played um, Tyranny, the other another Obsidian game? I have oh, not. No. I've I've heard about that one though, but but I haven't. No. There's one thing in there which it's kind of touching on what you're talking about. How um you have your main player character, which always stays in the party. Uh, but you then you have the companions that follow you, much like in Pillars of Eternity. Depending on which companion you have, you can activate an ability which uses your player character and that companion together. So it's kind of like the, the two of you get together and perform uh, some unique attack or effect mm -hmm. on the in combat. I think, just like you're saying, it would be cool if you could do that, but not just between your player character and the companions, but between each companion themselves and depending on how they're set up and or, or with yes yes exactly people in the world like you were saying like if you if you interact with a merchant you get better prices if they're the same race as you or something like that you know you 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 affect it across the board that because that makes sense in real life right i mean mm -hmm. that would yeah that would happen you you if you connect with someone if you feel friendly with them they're like oh you know what i'll throw this in for half price or whatever exactly exactly um one of the things i wanted to jump into we talked we kind of ran through the classes they're really we're going to do more podcasts on those later where we kind of dive into them individually and talk more detail about uh those but there's quite a few with the 11 that are listed there but one of the things if you've never played the games that you should know is that you choose a class but you can also do multi-classing and this was added in pillars of eternity 2 where you can combine two classes to create a kind of unique character um you can basically uh, and i'm gonna you tell me if i'm wrong but what happens is essentially um you are taking you're being a um what do they call that the the jack of all trades you're you're taking the benefits of both and you're you're melding them together into one but you're also making a sacrifice and that they it's going to take you longer to obtain the more powerful stuff and it's also you're cut off from access to the higher level skills for those particular classes period um if you do multi-classing um mm -hmm. i'm curious is i never multi-classed i will admit it uh, i did not multi-class i I always felt like with multi-classing, I felt like I was, um, how do I put it? I felt like I was uh, diluting my full potential as a character. And I'm sure you'll agree, disagree with that. Makes but, sense. Uh, I felt like I was not going to achieve the best thing I could. Another alternative to way to look at it would be, I also kind of feel like multi-classing makes the game a little bit more challenging. Um, especially later game. Um, I've, you know, uh, just what do you think about that? You guys multi-class at all? What, what are your thoughts about that? PoE2? Yeah, PoE2. Yeah. Um, so I did two full playthroughs of both games, single class all the way through. And on my third one, I, uh, I decided to come up with this goofy, just, you know, kid in a sandbox, fun party build. And it really needed multi-classing. So um, in Pillar, so okay, let me break it down. The idea was is I was going to do all rangers multi-classed with other things, so that I could have as many animals, and I would focus as much on summoning spells, so I could just fill my party with as many 
you know, little green circles as I could. Very cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you this, Pillars 1, rough. It was so bad. Eventually you get to a part where you're six rangers with just a little bit of multi-classing. It doesn't work. It does not work very well. But in Deadfire, having that ability to multi-class, it really made that kind of party build like really fun. So I had five characters, each was a ranger, and they multi-classed into something else that which I would have normally had. And it was it was just bananas fun. Like you know, just mindless kind of fun. I, I really enjoyed that party build. So I did do that. I'll say multi-classing is more difficult in terms of you have to take more time thinking about it. And you also have to accept you're not going to get that top tier ability level stuff. Mm -hmm. But how but was the, uh, sorry, how was the ranger thing? Like I'm, I want to go back and do that now, but I'm like thinking combat wise, that could be a bit of a nightmare, right? As far as management and. Oh, yeah, that's what I was thinking. It was, it was at, like, like I said, okay. In pillars one, it was, it was awful because I didn't have enough of a robust mix of classes to really dive into the other ones. So eventually, like I never got to this part, but I would not want to try to fight Console Hut with as six Rangers. That oh would just my gosh, horribly. But in oh, Deadfire, uh, if being able to focus more on building up the other half of your multi-class, it made it workable. It, I mean, I wanted to blade just for goofs, so I put it on. I think easier was it more difficult I, though? Did you find even on easy, it was more difficult? It was more difficult in some senses. Um, having a lot of action economy, to use D&D terms, I guess, uh, it did help. Like, I threw five animals at, at enemies. I was able to flank a lot more. Um, <laughs> I really focused the build more on the other side than rather just rangers. It was just goofy fun. Oh, but one thing, I, I don't recommend this. If you don't turn it on turn-based mode like I did the first time I tried oh it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I don't know what... <laughs> I don't know what possessed me to be like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Ten people, all turn-based mode. Oh, wow. I, I used console commands and turned that off immediately. So, Anybody else try multi-classing? I actually did that. Like like you said, it, first it felt like washing down your class. But then I actually, like when I tried it, I found it extremely powerful. Like... Um, you you can like choose a class that have has many passive things and they take one class that has many many active things like you can make a barbarian chanter and then it's like basically a barbarian with all the chants that's really powerful interesting you, so it made, like, you felt it made you stronger yeah, you, you you get to pick like cherry pick some good stuff from other classes that that, that are like very powerful, but they don't require you you do much. Yeah, I might go back yeah, and try I, it. The Lazar, did you mm -hmm. do it? Um, I only do do multi class in period two because I, I I feel like it's just much more fun, and uh, I I don't feel like I'm diluting because um sometimes sometimes it feel feels like a class in poe2 has way too much abilities anyways so i just cherry pick those that i need and then i have another class where i could ask but i can also cherry pick those that i need and then have powerful combinations um out of it so um 
Um, also, the fact that they all have unique uh, names also helps in you know not feeling like you're uh, diverging. Yeah, um, their names are also well, really really cool i mean if you play a paladin rogue you're called a holy slayer like come on that's awesome. <laughs> yeah although, you know sometimes although i can i can imagine that had to be a nightmare you know like what, what damn what are you gonna call like a half priest half ranger you know it's, like, it's actually oh let's call it an itinerant okay well kind of makes sense but then again you know Barbarian troop, uh, barbarian chantry actually called Howl. <laughs> love it. Oh man, I love so it. Cool. I do want to try it. it. Yeah, I want to try. I think I I will go back and and give give that one another try. This just to see how it feels. I I don't know why I felt that way, but it's just when you start out, you kind of like, well, I I really want to be the best I can be at what I chose, and um, I don't even know why they. I mean, I guess I do know why they bake that in because um, you'd be you'd be way too powerful if you could just basically be two classes in one character completely. Um, so it does kind of make sense. Also probably in real world, it makes sense if you're merging the two, you're, you're kind of not going to be able to focus on the one, the one uh, area of study completely. Um, this tailors into one of our emails, which is um, I'm going to jump into because this kind of relates to what we're talking about. We got this a little bit last week when the guy asked or the other week when the guy asked about his uh, wife or something like that. He wanted to get her into playing and um, know what the what the best solution would be to make the, the game. I think that probably the most common and this is from uh, Wolverine 64 asked, uh, what is the best or strongest build for beating Pillars of Eternity 2? Um, does anybody have an opinion on that? Um, this could be regular class, multi-class. What do you think is going to be your best chance at beating the game on, let's say, the hardest difficulty? All ranger multi-class. Yeah, I think it depends <laughs> on. I think it depends on. Uh, are you doing it solo or, or with the, like normal playthrough? Because when you when you're going solo, there's many people doing the uh, Skaian priests. Uh, combined with something else like Blood Mage. Interesting. Yeah, that is a good way to distinguish between them. Um, I don't know. I was thinking about this, and I, I don't know. I think it's balanced to a way that you could probably argue just about anything. Now, who was it who said Ranger? Somebody said Ranger. Was that? <laughs> I was. I was just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, David, no, Gingerino is a Ranger at heart, so. I love it. Do you play Ranger in D&D? If you do, I feel bad for you. I played a Ranger character in D&D once, and it was as awful as people said it is, but I did have fun with that character. Uh, but I, that was just the luck of the draw with the, the campaign was set in a, a place that my character was good in. Anybody have any other thoughts on what they feel like a strong build would be or a strong multi-class uh, or solo? Class? I mean, definitely, definitely multi-class. And... Uh, I would say that you would you would probably want to uh, mix like a, a strong martial class, like a paladin or a monk, with uh, a class that can summon a powerful weapon, like you know the the, the wizard or the druid. Uh, I think that way you can like dish out insane amounts of damage. Mm, I'd say like. 
instead of thinking one character, you should be thinking of quality composition. And if you we are talking about POE two, which is that five characters, then I, whenever you are playing POE one or two, I think your group should always have two melees that can take damage. You have to, or, or, almost always you should have a priest and a mage or druid for AOE stuff, and then some uh, ranged DPS. What about and weak? Yeah. Is there any weakest? Is there anything that you would avoid? Uh, I well, <sighs> not really. I think all classes can work quite well. I think I think Chandra could be. Uh, it's it's one of those harder classes to play, maybe. But if you want the easy playthrough, or you want to kill the hard bosses easily, you pick a wizard in BOE two and get the console hearts crushing doom spell. Nice. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I would I vote think... for priest uh, as a solo character, but I could be wrong there. I guess. Yeah, I think that the. Oops, sorry. Uh, I just wanted to say that I think that the weakest uh, combination would pro probably be a Cypher with a class that does not auto-attack a lot because, you know, Cyphers need the auto-attack because, uh, because of their, you know, unique mechanics. And if you don't use that, then you're just a bad character. I think that, that would be the weakest. Gingerino, you were saying something? Um, I, I have a friend who did a build. I haven't tried this yet, but, uh, if what he reported is accurate, it's a, it's a incredibly broken build was a priest with rogue abilities, a Skay Knight priest specifically, you know, go figure. Um, so whether or not he actually multiclassed as a zealot, or if he just had kind of roguish abilities added on, um, he basically, I think he went through a whole bunch of the game with just one companion. It was a really, really powerful build. I have to get him on and ask him. Actually, wow, you were yeah, saying you were saying that that was that was a solid strong one, or that that was one that was going to cause you trouble. No, it was a strong one. Like, oh, yeah, interesting. So damage dealer and buff healer kind of deal. Um, sounds pretty cool to me. Um, I wanted to wrap up with a couple of emails. We just did one email. Um, I have another one here. Um, we'll, again, we'll be doing more on races and classes down the road. We'll be probably focusing in on particular ones when we focus in on particular cultures and such, but just wanted to do a broad stroke one, um, for anybody who's new and is curious what they might see in Avowed because, um, one of the emails that I got is from Javantai. Sorry if I mispronounced that. Um, mm -hmm. Javantai is saying, do you feel that Obsidian will introduce any new races uh in avowed anybody want to tackle that um i actually do think so because i think i think that there's a pattern in previous even not not and i, and I know that this is going to be the most um probably and i'd like to say safely say that this would be the most anticipated um open world 
just making assumptions for that open world part, but first person RPG project that Obsidian is going to make. And so based off of the patterns that the previous RPGs, like say The Witcher 3, Skyrim, and and all those other games that have, uh, that have introduced the same classes from their prior games, like say uh, Morrowind or Oblivion, right? But they've also introduced new classes. And I think it would be really safe on their side and be really interesting to see those new classes. Now, in terms of what they would be, I'm not too sure. Um, it could be something fresh, something completely we've never heard of, like I mentioned earlier, maybe some, seeing something completely new and, and a race completely that is maybe designated to a certain biome that they've also decided to introduce um, on, like, say, in Pillars of Eternity, um, in both one and two, maybe that hasn't been present there, but now it's going to be present in Avowed. So definitely, yes, I think there will be new, uh, um, I would say, races, classes, even biomes uh, that would be introduced in the game. Anyone else? I would say it would be real fun to play as like um, a Vithrak, one of those like natural cipher characters. That would be cool. Uh, I mean, there are other sentient a... races. I mean, I mean, if I mean, I guess if you want to talk about like, um, I mean, you could. You, I mean, this. I don't vote that they go this direction, but you could, you know, be uh, a dragon or something like that. You know, they could really kind of skew off into a sentient race that's not a playable race now, but it still exists in the world. <laughs> I have I have a question. Um, were the, was there like a werewolf race of any kind in in Poe? Uh, I don't. Think and so. what about like vampires and stuff like that? Because that would be really cool to add if if they if they, if they don't have that already in, in their previous games. Uh, and I know we've seen it before. Yeah, like like vampires or maybe werewolves or or um, even some sort of dragon like um, yeah maybe race, but not like being in a full dragon, but just possess those attributes to maybe like allow you to communicate with dragons even more. Maybe they'll side with you during like, combat or like stuff a like D &D, that. Like D and D, like the Dragonborn or yes, yes, yeah. yes, exactly. I think mm -hmm. that that presents some challenges. I think I'm just going to be devil's advocate here. Um, while mm -hmm. while one part of me wants to say that I think they'll do that and I'm excited about that. The other part of me is that I feel like there's so much, I feel like so much of it has been fleshed out and I feel like they might lose some truest if they go into like, oh, I can play a dragon or, oh, I, um, mm -hmm. you know, I think some of people may like, okay, all right, they're, they're just going for the Skyrim audience. They're just, they're just trying to make money here. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe something new, maybe like for instance, um, I would always like to see some sort of jester like race. I, I know, I know we haven't seen that maybe before, but maybe some, some, some race or character or attributes that special specializes heavily on trickery and illusions and sort of like, sort of, you know what I mean? It brings that sort of like new fun element to it. And at the same time, it even changes up the play style a little bit, the gameplay, right? So that that way you can tackle new subjects, new attributes that you haven't really seen before. And at the same time, it gives you, it gives you something again, new to play. Um, I, I mean, uh, no, go ahead, Lazar. Uh, all I can think about is uh, I would definitely love to play more kinds of godlike. You know, that would also that would also function like within the the, mm -hmm. the lore as well. Um, and what you said, this uh, trickery kind of uh, Jinjirino mentioned that we had like he has a theory with 
while God likes, you know, while God likes might even fit into like whatever uh, they look like. I would really like to know, actually, I would also really like to know more, more kinds of God likes. What, what are they? Mm-hmm. What, what exactly they look like? I think that, that that's uh, that's uh, that's a direction that if you know if they want to expand upon, then then they could glorize and and everything else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How would you even know if you were a wall god? Like, are you allowed to know? Are you a wall god? Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> so, so Kiwi, there's a there's kind of a something about the Pillars of Eternity version of vampires. You want to talk about that? Um, yeah, well, there's this called things called vampire, so not not very uh, far from vampire. So basically, they are like dead kith that uh, stay alive from from. Well, they require living essence in order to stay alive. So blood of the kith usually is the thing they go for. Um, they are enemies that you encounter in some places. When you play and they uh, have some mental abilities like they have uh, they charm i think right so there is something there i mean there's something to to kind of relate to what 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 you're asking about so once again the vampire is is another version of the vampire class like or race i'll get spin on it it's they they're kith beings that have extended their lives uh, through unnatural means, essentially, kind of like you know vampires, but and they do have to consume essence in order to live. So you know, usually that is the blood of other kith. So they really fit in the vampire thing, but they don't have the all the same mythology that we're used to. So last question, I want to get to this one, and then we'll we'll end for today. But theology is uh, the name of this person who posted to said, let's see. Um, I loved uh, the travel in Pillars of Eternity 2 and would like to see them add some more travel alternatives in Avowed. Do you think they will incorporate some sort of air travel in Avowed? So what do you mean by air travel? Like uh, uh, He didn't, I don't know. He does, it's, that was his I, I question. Flying, flying on dragons, that, for example. Oh, that, yeah. Oh, interesting. I think what he's getting um, at is trying to say that would there be a since we're in a a a different we're not top down isometric with avowed do you think they'll incorporate some way to travel through the air whether that is through some sort of um beast or whether that is uh i mean gosh i don't know i don't even want to say it because what if it happens hot air balloon um you i mean you just never know any any thoughts about whether that would change the game too much? Uh, I mean, I mean, I think, I think that's 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 very very interesting. But for me, like, I would. This is maybe the one thing I would prefer more of a classical approach of having to take maybe um, either fast travel or some sort of. Um, yeah, maybe like some sort of fast travel or obelisk or total or anything. I actually put this in a survey where I asked the the uh, respondents uh, to whether you preferred fast travel through totems. And and I think maybe adds that sense of like quest design. Like if you were to visit the totem, it would not only further your quest, but it would also give you the ability to also travel that way should you need it. And it would be like a fast travel momentum. 
Um, though I wouldn't mind if it was put through, say, a beast or maybe a dragon. Like I even provided a screenshot of a different game that would it's going to be offering that feature. Um, but maybe not if it's strictly that feature. Maybe if you get the option, then I suppose. Because I'm just not so much of a fan of it. I feel like it's just uh, it, it kind of feels like a completely different game after that. I mean, they could do kind of what you do with Skyrim or some of the other games where yes. you're rewarded when you flesh out an area, when you visited a key point in an area, you're able to fast travel to that area. Mm -hmm. um, I actually tried to play Skyrim without ever using fast travel. Um, no. And it was tedious. I finally said, okay, this is dumb. I'm not going to do this anymore. But um, because you're darting back and forth between so many areas. Oh, yeah. So, 100%. So I 100%. think it would be helpful. I think it's a neat idea. I don't know that I would be a proponent of mechanical things like adding a hot air balloon or uh, uh, things that we haven't already seen. You know, I feel like I said before, I feel this world that is so rich already um, with the first game, especially because I'm sure that Avowed is going to be successful. And I'm, I'm, I mean, it's not CD Projekt Red, so it's going to go well. And... <laughs> I'm sure that they are going <laughs> to want to make a sequel, right? Or or yeah. more. So so leave the door open. And a lot of people are going to be introduced to this world for the first time. Let's be honest, that type of game, whether we like it or not, has more mass appeal than an isometric game. Um, it, 100. Yeah, I mean, they're hard to play on consoles. They really are. Um, and it's just easier. People are used to a slew of games that are... are open world games de developed specifically with that kind of interaction that works both well on PC and a console. Mm -hmm. um, so the audience mm -hmm. is going to grow. They're going to get a you know a lot of ideas from that. And I so there's no telling what's going to happen down the road. So I, we've, we've been going on for a while. Thank you guys for, for chiming in today. I want you to have a chance if you want to, to give a shout out to where people can find you, uh, if they want to find you in Reddit or uh, on YouTube or anywhere else. Um, Gingerino, where, where can people find you? Um, so I have a lore-based project uh, in the works. It should be up pretty soon. If you want to follow that, you can go on Twitter at World of Aora, or you can, once you get into it, email worldofaora at gmail.com. Can follow me on Reddit as well. The username Gingerino. And Triometry, awesome. you've got you've got something going on. You want to tell us again about what what you're doing? Of course. So so you guys can also follow me on Reddit if you guys want to keep up to date with um, Avowed. And I do frequently try to get the community engaged as much as possible, whether it's through surveys, um, packages of some kind that would really help me. And I send it to Obsidian Entertainment, and I've had a couple of responses from them. So that is the Reddit portion. If you'd also like to follow me on YouTube to keep up to date for also Avowed-related content, I do that on the channel as well. And I'll be continuing to do it very, very frequently. And I try to take as much feedback and response from you guys to keep you engaged as much as possible. So definitely do that. And if you guys have any questions, just simply contact me at triometrycontact.gmail.com. You can also find that at the About section of my channel. Yeah, and just for people who are, are looking for that, um, it's T-R-I-O-M-E-T-R-Y. So that's how you would spell that. Um, yes. Lazar or Kiwi, you guys have any, are you, you, you want people to contact you in any way or you want to remain anonymous? Don't contact me. Uh, good. Do we say it's like in the Terminator? I love it. I love me. it. That is so epic. 
Um, Lazar, anything? No? It looks like he's muted. Um, so we're going to end the podcast today. Thank you guys very much for, for joining us and for listening. And um, we'll be back with more stuff in the future. So Excellent. yeah, look for us every about two a month. We're going to do that until Obsidian gets gets off their butt and starts giving us some information. Thank you for having us. Or we really appreciate it. Yeah, it was fun. It was a pleasure meeting you guys too. Yeah, man. Man, the myth, the legend, tree. I'm tree. You know <laughs> I know. Now Gingerina. we know there's a voice behind it. I know. Isn't that awesome? All right. See you guys. I can't imagine both of you being wrong. See, that's not what he says. But I like your way better. All right. I think that straightens some things out. That's all we have today, folks. So feel free to email us at avowedcast at gmail.com with any questions or contributions. Or if you want to be on the podcast, you can email us there and we'll figure something out, a way to get in touch with you. Um, we will leave you today, as we always leave you, with the wonderful musical genius of Justin Bell. So sit back, relax, and listen. <laughs>